operation begin. Some new insight on the rash of terrifying abductions plaguing Gotham City. There's an invasion of monsters. They're grabbing people off the streets. They're soldiers. We might be staring down the barrel of a full-scale invasion. It's happening across the world. Leave them to me. An alien computer. Alien? Like Superman. So, what can you do? We tried it your way, now we do it mine. Shazam! You're not just some guy in a bat costume, are you? This world is mine. Time for some teamwork. This world belongs to everyone! Shama people, and welcome to our 231st episode of Happiness and Darkness, the superhero movie podcast, where we discuss superhero movies from Marvel, DC, Dark Horse Image, and more. Naturally, there will be spoilers, folks, so you have been warned. I am one of your hosts, DJ Nick, and as always, joining me is my podcasting partner in crime, wonderful friend, and I think a superhero in his own right, Mr. Keith Bliss. Hey, Keith, how are you today? Oh, you know me. I can't complain. The voices in my head tell me I'm Batman. I like to argue and disagree. I'm more Superman, but it is what it is. Um, I can't complain. The weather's nice, sunny, no rain, and I live at the beach. <laughs> Fantastic. Well, I guess this is the confirmation that Batman is real, folks. <laughs> and so... <laughs> and the reason I say that is because today we are discussing Justice League War from 2014. This was directed by Jay Oliva, who at some point we will have to have on the podcast because I swear to God, we're reviewing so many of his movies. Oh. It was... <laughs> So, Jay, if you're out there, you're welcome to, to join us for an interview or we'll have you hang out with us. This was, of course, written by Heath Corson, while the score was by Kevin Kleesh. So, getting to general impressions on this one, Keith, what did you make of Justice League War? I enjoyed this one immensely. I, I know I am of the minority to say the post-Flashpoint New 52 was actually a fairly decent run. I'm not saying it was perfect. Do not come at me with pitchforks guys i will say that i appreciated i liked what they did with a lot of the characters i do like the artwork as some of our listeners like to ask me about artwork and you know directions and style i did appreciate the artwork in this one i like the, the revamped costumes and the more modern take on some of these costumes like superman's costume that hasn't changed in literally forever while it's not perfect and great it's still a nice improvement looks closer to the battle armor that we have seen in the movies and the same thing goes with batman and the flash and green lantern even wonder woman gets a revamp and i appreciate that because her costume out of anybody's had been the most dated and kind of um out of place is a nice way of putting it because it looked like she was running around in a bikini the entire time which good on her for it to stay on but it just compared to the rest of the characters it just didn't make all you know visually a lot of sense and i get this is from a, a different generation of people. Uh, that being said, I like the story. It was a little fast-paced, and there was a certain expectation of the listeners that they had to have an understanding of characters were, in some cases, such as Batman, um, Green Lantern, Wonder Woman, and Superman. 
we do get an introduction sort of to Billy Batson and the Flash, uh, Flash and Shazam, and then uh, Victor getting turned into Cyborg. That's kind of a big point of this story, and it really that's a, a, a good B story for this. Um, with that being said, I, I think it went at a reasonably good pace. There was not a lot of downtime where you're thinking, crap, is this over yet? Is it, you know, are we done? How much longer do I have to sit here? I liked the voice characters. I liked the interaction. There's a lot of organic chemistry with these characters. Again, as we've mentioned on many of our other podcasts, we've watched movies or shows or whatever, and you see these characters and they're very stiff and you can tell that they're just there for the paycheck and kind of a requirement where they're just reading words, going through the action and done with it here. Like with Hal and green lantern, that was legitimate banter. Like I could see these guys actually at a bar drinking together when they're not saving the planet or the universe or whatever the case may be. They seem like actual friends. You could feel the sexual tension between Superman. And then you could also feel the um, sense of mentality with Batman talking to Green Lantern, where he's like, listen, you and I are the only two mortals here. Everybody else has something going on. We are the closest to um, the average idiot as possible. Granted, Hal makes a comment about Batman being a little bit south of normal, but even then, that was a kind of a clip that you would expect from the Green Lantern because Hal Jordan is a bit of a, a smart aleck, and that's kind of where we get the tone of this whole movie. Um, with that being said, could certain characters have been written a little bit better? Sure. Um, the whole Shazam, Billy Batson angle just seemed like a let's throw it in here kind of situation where they had to introduce Billy and then show him turning into Shazam. Apparently he's been Shazam forever and the whole family knows, but nobody else in the world knew about this. And I, I did appreciate that the superheroes in this DC universe were more of um, a nuisance to society in some cases. There's that whole scene where they're yelling at one room to go home because they've de she destroys a lot of um, individuals' properties, which I always joked about with friends that, you know, you see all these great big battles, but you never see like the next day when, you know, little Susie's going looking for her stuffed doll and half the house is just wiped out or whatever the case may be. And it's, it's kind of funny because you laugh at it, but then you don't think about it because it's like, haha, funny. And then you're like, oh, wait, that's fair. Because at the end of this movie, there's a big giant battle scene and they just destroy most of the city and then you're thinking about that scene earlier in the movie where the people are going to be pissed off or you expect them to be pissed off but everybody thankfully appreciates what they've done because without this uh super friends or justice league uh, none of this would have happened you know this uh city would have been leveled and the earth would have fallen so uh, i do like how you see the social tone change from you know, get away from us, go back to where you came from to thank you for saving us. So it's a nice to see that society does learn from its mistakes. <clears throat> hint, hint, <clears throat> hint. I don't know if we'll ever learn, to be honest. And she dresses like a whore, apparently. But, um, oh, yes, like, and okay. she's a whore. That's fair. 
<laughs> that kind of made me joke. I was like, I you dressed like a whole. Like, no, like he had nothing I, better to yell at her. He's like, you're a stupid doodle head and you dress like a whore. Like, oh, okay. Like you couldn't anything. That was the best you came up with. No, I, th- I thought it was kind of hilarious. No bit of a dated comment there, but I thought it was kind of hilarious. I'm right there with you. I thoroughly enjoyed this movie. Um, and and I don't think I'd ever seen it before because there were moments where I'm like, have I seen this before? It might have been just because of maybe the comics that I've read or what have you, but I'm right there with you. This was a solid entry into the DC animated universe. As a, it, and it's a great service, I think, as a great jumping on point, aside from, like you said, maybe shoehorning in some characters like the case of Shazam, who, of course, we will get to. But other than that, I really enjoyed the pairings, of unlike, you know, unlikely pairings of characters, like, we, of course, we'll talk about. And I think the pacing was generally good, and it could have just served as a standalone story, seeing the way it ends with Darkseid. Um, even though I know, and you know, of course we know at this point, because you know th- this came out in 2014, that they're not done with Darkseid, even though he's been blinded and he's been sent back to, you know, back to Apocalypse. But I really enjoyed it. It was a great way to bring the Justice League together, even though they don't get that name by the end of this film. Then, you know, Shazam jokingly calls them the Super Seven. And it was like, that's the best you can come up with. But I thought it was great. And uh, like you mentioned, uh, and I think it's been one of the strong points of the DC animated universe is the are the voice talents. And here we have some great ones and even some unlikely ones. I was actually surprised. When I'm like, I th- I've heard that voice before. Oh my God, it's him. And so uh, it was it was really great. And uh, it made me chuckle. I was f- thoroughly entertained. And I really was curious to see how the final battle would shake out. I mean, I knew how it was going to end, obviously. I mean, it's not going to be like Dark Side takes over the planet, but how they were going to solve it. And I will say this is one of the few cases where they did not come up with the 15-minute rule. This could, <laughs> genuinely, this could genuinely have worked as a plan and so I, I was actually glad when it came to that. Granted, maybe, yeah, there are some moments where Darkseid seems almost indestructible and then suddenly they were there to beat his butt. But other than that, I, uh, I, I thought it was really great. I was very, very happy with this one. So let's start by looking at our characters on the board and at our nascent Justice League. Starting with two of our members, we have Justin Kirk as Hal Jordan Green Lantern and Jason O'Mara as Bruce Wayne Batman. So, Keith, what did you make of this rather, dare I say, unique pairing? It, it was an interesting starting point for the movie to start with these two. Usually, you expect the Batman, but the Green Lantern angle was definitely uh, an interesting take. And their whole first meeting was very entertaining. The fact that Hal is literally giving him a hard time. He's like, okay, go drink your two, true blood. And he just goes, I don't do that. And he's like, wait you're not just a dude in a costume and Batman gives a little smirk and you're like, okay, he's got a bit of a sarcastic side to him. So I appreciated they, they did humor humorize. I can't even say the word um, Batman a little bit more. They made him more relatable and you could see that with the banter between the two of them and the fact that he just swipes Hal Jordan's ring right off his hand while he's talking to him, like not even a blink of an eye. He's like, Hey, what's this? And how like, what the son of a, and you know, they kind of have that little back and forth and it just goes, it's from there. And it sort of sets the pace and the tone of the whole movie that while there's a serious undertone, there's still a little time for sarcasm and levity and kind of tension breaking types of comments, which the flash and a lot of the other characters are known for doing at these times. And it, it, it works. It works very well. 
And the, the fact that the two of them were able to sync up so well right from the jump, they first time they've met, they continue on to Metropolis and they just go from there. And it's very, okay, you do this, I'll do this. And they just kind of go with the flow and they work off of each other very well considering that they were thrown together at the last possible second and they're literally fighting the strongest man on the planet, Superman. I I did like it. And again, Batman brought the human element to it. He's like, Hey, I'm just a dude in a costume and uh, I've been doing this. I've lost my family. And he does explain all of this. With that being said, I have no idea how Hal Jordan has no idea who Bruce Wayne is because literally Bruce Wayne is, one of the richest men on the planet, and he's this billionaire philanthropist, blah, 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 and he has Wayne Tech everywhere. And This guy's like, who's Bruce Wayne? You're living under a rock? Literally, everybody knows who Bruce Wayne is. It's like Lex Luthor. It's not everybody knows who Lex Luthor is. You don't have to be like, hey, there's Lex. Somebody's going to be like, who's that? Same kind of situation. That just seemed a little out of left field, the fact that Hal Jordan didn't know who Bruce Wayne was. Both times when they made the reference. First, when Superman made the reference to Bruce Wayne and the fact that Bruce Wayne literally introduces himself and Superman knows who Bruce Wayne is. Granted, Clark Kent is a reporter and does a lot of you know reporting in the different industries and whatnot. So he's crossed paths with this individual more than once. I'm pretty sure Hal Jordan has crossed paths with Clark and or Bruce Wayne at some point in his career just because of you know, dinners and functions and whatnot. So that was the one thing that kind of threw me for a little bit of a loop. But otherwise, I think the two of them worked very well together. I agree. I think the chemistry was definitely very palpable between these two. I wonder where the fact that Hal does not know who Bruce Wayne is might be the fact that he's, I guess at this point, spent so much time in space and literally with his head in the clouds that he barely pays attention to what goes on literally on the ground, if you will, because I agree with you. Bruce Wayne is kind of like, you know, any tycoon that we have in the real world, if you will, you know, be it a Bezos or a Musk or any of these folks, that everybody's heard of in some form or shape. But I think it might just be the fact that maybe Hal has just really not paid attention to earthly things, if you will, because of being a space cop and doing what he does. But the pairing was fantastic. But I think it's you have this great contrast of how being more of the jock, if you will, the Tom Cruise kind of character from Top Gun, if you will, and Batman being the super serious guy who barely cracks a smile. And it was kind of fun here to see him crack a smile here and here and there. And the I mentioned the fact of these unlikely pairings in this movie, and you get a few of them, and it's great how that you know the, the various pairings that we get, they kind of compensate each other and at the same time almost supportive of each other. Because here I think Bruce seeing how and even though how has one of the most powerful weapons in the universe with the green ring they do almost help each other if you will because bruce finally finds a literal human somebody that is on his level with all these other superpowered beings he's like you and i we, we, we you know we're the, we're the same except you know that you've got the ring and uh and that it augments what you've got because it's in augmented concentration, but at the end of the day, we're both flesh and blood. And I also appreciate the fact of Batman constantly getting on Hal's case about you're not concentrating enough and all this. And I was almost thinking, maybe that's not helping that you're telling him he's not concentrating enough in the sense that right? he becomes more aware. 
that he's not doing it. It's like, you're going to lose your balance and you fall kind of thing. So it's, I, I wonder whether it's either Batman trying to, I think it was Batman trying to support Hal, but yeah. at the same, or if not, it was kind of like, I'm putting him to the test because I want him to be better as in always be on your A game. But I think for the most part, because Batman, I think just has that innate mentor spirit to him. Cause heck, how many Robins has he had? So and and I don't know at this point in the game. I guess New Fifty Two has had already three three Robins. So it's maybe just part of his character to be a natural mentor, even though people don't ask for it. And that's I think what he's doing with Hal. He's kind of being a mentor, even though Hal doesn't feel he needs it. And that's why it's like you have to concentrate more because I think he wants him to be a better Green Lantern. Because like I see you want to be a hero. I want to help you get to the next level. Um, and, and I also appreciate the fact that we got to see Batman once again being a detective and showing that he knows more than we think he does, like calling Superman out, saying, calling him literally Clark and, uh, and, and obviously Superman going back, literally scanning his mask saying, OK, Bruce. But that, that was great. And I love that we saw that. And also Batman to be able to traverse the craziness that happens in this movie with the parademons and, of course, Darkseid. There were moments when, like, Batman it seems to be stronger than usual. Because there were moments when he was taking down parademons. Like, there was, it was nothing, like, literally wrestling them to the ground. And there were others where he was having a hard time doing it. So it seemed a little bit inconsistent there. But I guess it might also have been maybe he has more energy at one point. Maybe he has less than another. It's hard to say. But to, for him to hold his own against parademons and even Darkseid himself, it was great. And I, and I love the fact that when he has to go off and gets captured by the parademons to try and save Superman, he's like, Green Lantern, you're in charge. Give them a pep talk. Even though he knows that Hal is not going to rally the troops. And of course, it's up to Wonder Woman who ends up being the, the strategist in, the, in this film. But there's clearly belief in both of them. And even though they butt heads, it's very much, it reminds me of like a buddy cop show where you have the two cops that at first may don't get on and then they eventually develop a friendship because usually... In the comics world, Green Lantern's best buddy is the Flash. And right. we do see that a little bit in the movie too. But here was very much like these, like almost you know, two cops on the beat. And though they might not like each other, they might almost feel, feel they're thrown together by circumstance. They then become a team. It's like, we can do this. And like you said, they are the two that usher us into the various points of the movie as we move through the various fictional cities from Gotham City to Coast City to, to Metropolis and then what ultimately Washington, D.C. So, uh, no, I loved it. I thought, I thought it was really great. I love the chemistry between the two. And when the movie ended, I was like, oh, I'd love to see more of just Batman and Green Lantern because Jason Omar and Justin Kirk did such a great job with, uh, with, uh, with bringing these characters to life and that chemistry. I absolutely loved it. Uh, is there anything else you wanted to add, Keith? No, I agree with you 100%. Awesome. All right, so I guess then let's get to three other members of the Justice League. We have Alan Tudyk, surprise, as uh, Superman, Michelle Monaghan as Wonder Woman, and Christopher Gorham as The Flash. So what did you make of this trio? Um, They were fine. No, I'm just kidding. I actually, I like them. It, it was a, a nice change up I, I will say this is another one of those like weird points like wonder woman seemed a little too naive to the world or she just you know come from themiscara to the united states which we're not going to explain there are certain points that they they could have at least mentioned in passing other than 
her trying to meet the president, and yet she's never had ice cream or never done certain activities. So it makes it sound like she's only been in the United States for a couple of days, a week, maybe a month. We have no reference point. I just, it would have been nice to have reference points to certain things so you understand the severity of the situation, such as everybody trying to flip the car over that she's in because they don't like the amount of damage that she has done doing things that we have no reference to. Like, what things are you referring to other than they broke stuff? Like, what stuff? When did this happen? You know, again, sort of kind of a, a gauge as to what's going on in the world or how long she has been around. Because in one scene, you see her saying, I'm sorry for breaking all of this stuff. And then in the next scene, she's talking to a small girl waving a sword around at an ice cream vendor, which you would have thought her attache would have been like, hey, Wonder Woman, just want to run this past you. Put the freaking sword away. Like you don't, you're not always at battle all of the time, especially when you've just literally scared a group of people 20 minutes earlier. Miss, put down the sword. (laughs) Yeah, right. Anything like here, give me the sharp pointy thing. Like you can keep the lasso of truth. That's fine. But again, one of those, they don't explain certain things very well. And then they go into super ridiculous detail with Cyborg's origin. So it's kind of. I wish they had balanced it out a little bit. I I do appreciate they used Flash in this movie adequately. I will say I'm very disappointed that he didn't get to do his super powerful punch. It's called the uh, infinite mass punch. That would have been cool to see. That would have been a, a little finishing move or an attack while they were Batman was off saving Superman. Just so you show that he is more powerful than he's kind of been led to us have been led to believe he's like oh this dude just runs fast he can do things because in one scene he's punching one of the parademons and doesn't seem to be doing a lot of damage so this would have been nice to show that like when push comes to shove he could split a planet in half if he had to so that's it's kind of you know that's minor and i get that but i think they could have utilize them a little bit more just like wonder woman she steps up when hal drops the ball and yes i'm using sports metaphors because that's what hal did um (laughs) when he dropped the ball trying to give this pep talk about going on the offense and defense like he's never talked to people before he's never held a serious conversation and all of a sudden when he's put on the spot he's like sports metaphor sports metaphor stuff and wonder woman's like here, let me uh, let me handle this here, champ. You seem to be struggling. And she does a great job. She steps up, and she does what she has to do. Um, Superman was... I'm not going to say underutilized. He was... I, I appreciate the fact that he wasn't as much of a tank as they usually like to make him in some of these movies. Um, he was used just enough, and it gave Wonder Woman, Hal, Cyborg, and the rest of the team time to shine. And yes, he does come in and punches Darkseid a couple times through the the boom tube and whatnot. And he does, you know, take a good beating himself. It was enough to kind of show that if you let me in the game against sports metaphors, kids, um, you let me play, I, I can, you know, kind of be a a vital piece of this team. But at the same time, I'm not the linchpin holding the team together. It is. 
everybody working together. And that's what that kind of shows. Like, yes, he does come flying through, beats him up a couple times and gives him that gnarly uppercut and sends him through the hole. I, I think anything else would have been a little like, okay, it's a Superman thing that happens to have the Justice League. This was a Justice League movie that has you know Superman coming in and, and saving anything. Plus, it does... He and Wonder Woman having that moment uh, of weird sexual tension a couple times also sets up for some of the other movies down the line because that does carry over in a couple of the other ones where they kind of are a couple because that was a thing in the New 52 and then the internet had a meltdown and said Superman needs to be with Lois and not Wonder Woman. So they, they quickly dissolve that thing. Even though I thought they made a better couple. And yes, you know, I said it. I'm right there with you, to be honest. I think Superman and Wonder Woman actually do complement each other more than, say, Wonder Woman with Steve Trevor and Superman with Lois Lane. I mean, it's been that way for the longest time. And when the new 52, they were like, maybe these super people are more at home with people who get them, as in somebody of equal power and who has that. It's like, it makes me think of musicians, for example, tend to hook up with fellow musicians, you know, if not hooking up with groupies, but that's another story. But um, usually it's like, because you understand what it means to be like months away on tour or this kind of stuff. Or heck, I, dare I say it, porn stars, they tend, uh, porn stars tend to marry each other because they get each other, if you know what I mean. It's a very weird comparison, but I think it's because you're in a certain kind of business that people understand that you have that understanding of, you know what I'm doing, etc. You know, when as if you're somebody you're you're dating or even married to somebody who's outside the business, there might be moments where they don't understand, which can be the cause of frustration when it comes to, you know, couples where who have such diverse um, job occupations. Um, and so I'm right. I, I was actually happy, Keith, like you, when the New 52 were like Superman and Wonder Woman, it kind of seems obvious that they would be together because they understand one another. And here you very much have that potential, like you said, of um, the way they kind of flirt when Superman's kind of holding up the, the plane. And when it was like, hello, and he's like, hello, kind of thing. You have that meet cute between the two, which other was really nice. And there is that beautiful, beautiful piece of artwork of Superman kissing Wonder Woman while they're high up in the air. And I'm a, I'm a softie. And I was like, oh, that's gorgeous. I love that. Um, so, so I appreciate it, even though everybody's ogling Wonder Woman, because, you know, I guess one, she's the only woman in the group and two, you know, of course is Wonder Woman. So, you know, she's good looking. Um, but I like the fact that in this case, Superman, the most powerful of the group, if you will, was the one who was in most danger because he was literally captured by the paradigms and, the, and he's the one that Darkseid wants to convert desperately because it's almost like if I get Superman, I've won kind of thing. And uh, I will be honest, even though I knew how it was going to turn out, I was a little bit concerned when it came to Superman, when his conversion started happening. And uh, it, it definitely made me think of, obviously, the Cybermen, and it made me think of the Borg when it came to Star Trek, of the whole concept of, uh, of the conversion. I think it was very, it might have been inspired by one or the other. It's hard to say. But 
they, they they make for a great couple, I think, you know, because of the understanding. Wonder Woman, I you are totally right. I, I thought exactly the same thing. She seems rather naive at this point because the way it's established, it seems like she's been doing this for a while. So she's clearly been on adventures and saved Earth in her own way from time to time. Yet, like you said, the fact that she's never tasted ice cream was like, I don't have time for this president of whom you speak. It seemed a little bit more fish out of water. It seems something more reminiscent of the first Wonder Woman movie or heck, the Wonder Woman animated film that you and I reviewed recently. You'd think at this point she'd have more mileage and be more cognizant of the way Earth works. Yet here she seemed rather still more isolated, if you will, or um, unexamined because the only reality she's known has been Thamaskira here, of course, being called, uh, what was it? Pleasure Island, I think it is. And um, at some point they, they ping pong them between two. Yeah. Cause like, why? Cause the fancy Greek name doesn't work. Okay, fine. We'll call it Pleasure Island. I'm like, okay. But, um, and yeah, cause you still see that the, the whole fiery warrior that's in her, which I wouldn't say, I, I don't say, I wouldn't say has changed, you know, down the line, but here it's even more out there. It's like, it almost seems like she hasn't been out of Pleasure Island for a while. Cause she's like, yes, I get to fight again with gods and what have you. And she gives everybody their, you know, the name of a, a Greek god aside from, uh, I, uh, who was, I think, not Shazam, but was one Superman. of the other. Yeah. Superman was the only one that she's like, you, I have nobody for. Cause she's like, oh, that's Hermes and that's so and so and that's so and so. And it's funny because I never thought of that until she points it out. And I'm like, holy shit, she's right. Because that's you know Hermes being you know the speed god and so and so and so and so. I was like, and then obviously Shazam is Zeus. So I was like, well played, well played. <laughs> yeah, and and even then when she's like talking to Superman, saying I've never met anybody quite like him. Yep, they're gonna hook up. That's how it goes because you know they'll be having dinner down the line. Because of course at this point Steve Trevor is just an attaché for Wonder Woman. He's kind of like showing her around. And we get a one one shot of Lois Lane in this film where she's like just filming the story because yes, folks in the New Fifty Two, like Keith rightfully pointed out, Superman and Lois were not a couple; they just wanted to change things around. And uh, as I said, I uh, could kind of root for for uh, Clark and Diana to be honest, but uh, I can understand why other folks might find their nose bent out of shape by that pairing. But uh, but yeah, I appreciate Superman being you know. Kind of, you know, one of the ones who was most in danger. Wonder Woman picking up how uh, slack, even though also I will say Cyborg did a lot of the heavy lifting too, coming from his sports background as a star football player. And The Flash, I was a little bit, there were moments where I was scratching my head a little bit because like, how does The Flash fit into this? What I appreciated about this is Superman and The Flash are the only two characters who are settled within the within the the world as superheroes as in superman is loved by the people and loved by law enforcement the flash same thing he that he isn't seen as a pariah in the at, you know, in central city and heck he even works with the with the you know scientists outside of his purview case in point silas stone vic stone's father so they seem more adjusted compared to the rest of our group and so you do have that contrast of Two of these guys are, are adjusted. The rest are, see, are seen as kind of a menace and a problem. And I think maybe down the line, they want to imply that they might help the rest of these guys adjust, if you will. 
And yeah, I'm glad, you know, even though we didn't get Flash's signature punch, they didn't just make him a, a speedster end of story. He definitely brought something to the table. I would have liked a little bit more of his of um, an interaction between him and Hal because it's, it seems like they clearly know each other when uh, when they show up. And as I mentioned before, that's another one of the historic friendships in DC is Hal Jordan and Barry Allen being being super huge friends when it comes to to the, to the, to the heroes. But for what what we got to see of the Flash, I was happy. I mean, I'm a huge Flash fan, as folks know, so it was cool that he got to do something. But you have such a big cast, of course, when it comes to Justice League, it's hard to give everybody their fair share. But by and large, I think I think it worked. Uh, anything else you want to add, Keith? No, I, I think you covered it pretty very well. Well, thank you. So I guess then let's round off our heroes by taking on our last two members. We have Shamar Moore as Vic Stone Cyborg, a.k.a. Victory. Victory. And we also have Sean Astin. Yes, Samwise Gamgee himself and Zach Callison as Shazam and Billy Batson, respectively. So what did you make of our two new entries to the Justice League, Keith? Um, again, this was one of those, the Billy Batson story seemed a little rushed, and there was an expectation that everybody knew who he was. Like, oh, there's this kid, and he's just up to mischief, and then he runs home, and he's in an orphanage. Oh, it's Billy, because they keep saying he's that Billy kid. If you don't know who... If you've never seen the Shazam movies, you don't know who Billy Batson is. All of a sudden, he yells Shazam and turns into this dude. And you're like, the hell am I watching here? Because one thing, he's a kid. And all of a sudden, magically, he's literally magically, he's this superhero. Um, and the same thing, Victor, I, I will say, irritated me a little bit. Because he's in Star Labs, fighting with his father. And he grabs this sparking box of mystery which why you would do that considering he knows what his father does for a living he works with stuff from other country countries universes everywhere you know all this alien tech that what do i do let me grab the shiny box with a giant red light like for all the um intelligence this individual has he does a really dumb thing and you know, come to find out, you know, Victor is just like his father. He has a genius level intellect. He's a very smart guy. But if he hadn't tried to grab the mother box, he would have probably blown himself half to bits. So that seemed kind of a, a bit of a head scratcher that, you know, you're mad and you're frustrated with your father. I get that. And, you know, you want to, you know, break his toys. But the toys glowing, shaking and making weird sounds probably shouldn't grab that. Literally anything else, sure. Tablets, sure. Weird box of alien tech, leave it the hell alone. So, you know, of course, what happens? It opens up and somehow shears half of his face off and causes all this crazy damage, which I get it. It's a boom tube and it's all this energy and whatnot. I didn't understand why the mother box attempted to try to assimilate him and didn't just him getting killed by the, the blast. Yes, we know it has to happen so he can get his powers and abilities. Um, my assumption is that all the other alien tech in the lab that the father was working on and playing with and dissecting and putting back together somehow um, changed the programming in the mother box so it didn't 
work when it tried to condition him and turn him into a parademon. It made Cyborg, which I will be honest, he is one of my favorite superheroes because he's pretty badass. I'm just going to be honest. Um, I've always liked Cyborg since I was a little kid because, again, he's a cyborg. What's not to like? Um, and I, so that was kind of one of those annoying little whatevers. And again, each character has one of those. Billy, the fact that everybody needs to know what his backstory is before getting to this. Victor's, I, I do like this that you see his struggle. You know, he's this big star in high school. He's going to go off to college. And what does his dad say? Sports are dumb. Like, that's literally, after this whole big thing, sports are dumb. What you like is stupid. And science is more important. I mean, I'm, I'm boiling it down to the basics, but am I wrong, Nick? Right? He basically just says sports are dumb. And that's Pretty what much. triggers this, this fight and so on and so forth. So it's not until his father, you know, he gets wounded, gravely wounded, and turns into this superhero and goes through this transformation that his father finally realizes like I, I done did screwed up and I need to focus on my son because I promised his mother that I would take care of him and up until this point he's really done a bang up job there champ um, and I do like the fact that when he is freshly hatched from his cocoon that he is not the, the armor is not fully formed yet it's still developing and still refining and as you go from the big battle to the end of the movie, which obviously some time has passed, his armor is more uh, defined and doesn't look very janky and looks like he just slapped some metal on his ass and called it a day. Um, I, I wish I will say out of all the dumb things, his design I wish they'd kind of gone with some of the other designs they'd introduced in the DC comics, but that's very minor. Um, I Glad they introduced him. I'm glad they it made more sense to make him part of the Justice League than say the Teen Titans because the characters, the Teen Titans in this universe are much younger and he is at that weird in between age. He's too old to be a Titan and too young to almost be a Justice League character. It's just for the fact that he is super OP that he gets put on the, the big leagues. I mean, great points, yes, because because very much I believe in the comics, they kind of have him naturally progressing or graduating from being a Teen Titan to becoming a Justice Leaguer. And uh, here, you know, they just throw him in with the with the big boys. And it was interesting that, that you know, in all this chaos that we have in this film, between our alien invasion and everything else, we get this B-plot, if you will, of the relationship between Victor and Silas, his father, and how that has been, you know, really sort of a one-sided relationship where Vic is really kind of looking for recognition from his dad, you know, because we even see that while Silas is doing all his science stuff and you know, trying to figure out the mother box and the parademon that they recovered, he literally gets a notification. Silas gets a notification on his phone saying Victor's game now. And he's like, ignore. And you wonder how long this has been going on for, because after the game, you know, the Victor does a great job in, he then confronts, like you mentioned, his father in Star Labs, kind of giving him the point that his father has never attended any of Victor's games. And so you, this is a regular occurrence. So Victor's clearly striving for his father's love. And Silas is like so buried in his work. He's married to his job rather than, like you said, kind of keeping the promise that he made 
to his wife and and then Sir Vic's mother of I will take care of you and I kind of be there for you because he's been incredibly the the epitome of an absentee father. And it takes his son to be near death for Silas to give a damn. And Victor says as much. And I can't blame him for being so upset about it all. And then also the tragedy of this character kind of remind me a little bit of our Robocop reviews where Victor is found now in a body that's almost no longer his own, where he's like, I get this. I have this constant buzzing in my ears. Please stop the buzzing. And he just is. He's almost brought to insanity because of it, because it's like he's traumatized. One, he almost died. And two, now he wakes up and he's almost almost gets assimilated to become a parademon. He's in now a, a body which he doesn't recognize and doesn't know. And it's literally a new beginning for him. And, you know, and, and at the same time, he's like, now, father, you care about me. Because, yeah, I mean, you paraphrase there about the concept of um, Silas saying sports are dumb. He's very much gives him the whole talk of in a world of superheroes and powers, etc. Sports means nothing. Like, not necessarily, but, you know, that, that that's the way you see it. But yeah, and, and of course, and that's where, of course, they butt heads. Uh, at the same time, I agree with you. Victor grabbing a, a mysterious object that's kind of glowing, not the smartest move. And that, but of course, we had to get Cyborg in some form or shape, and that's how we got it. But uh, I did appreciate the fact that uh, while Cyborg is kind of dealing with this newfound power and new life and trauma and what have you, he has somebody like Billy, who's literally his cheerleader. Because, of course, you know, after that, when we, we get that first scene before the whole incident, Billy obviously sneaks his way into the locker room and steals Victor's jersey because he's such a big fan of Victor's. I would say, Billy, if you're such a big fan, you could say to Victor, can I have this? Or something of that nature. But no, he literally steals his jersey and runs off. And, and But at the same time, you know, once we get the whole Shazam thing, which I agree, it did seem like a little bit rushed, where could you explain to us that Billy... Met a wizard and thence has powers, but no, here it's like okay, you just have to accept that Billy Batson is Shazam, and and that's just his shtick, and off we go to the races. But throughout the whole thing, Shazam, as I mentioned, is very also Shazam is very much uh, Victor's cheerleader. He's like, you know, victory, victory. It's like you can do this, dude. I believe in you. And even that moment when Billy is Shazam and Victor is now Cyborg, they have that look of recognition towards us, and Shazam's like. Victor, that's you. And Victor, I think, recognized him as the, the, the scrawny little kid who stole his jersey. And I remember a gripe that you had when we met, when we reviewed the Shazam sequel was the fact that Shazam and Billy seemed like two completely different entities. Here, Shazam literally acts like Billy. Even though it's yeah. two different people voicing the character, Shazam literally acts the way Billy would, the way he's kind of like, you know, making these rather childish comments towards Wonder Woman. And he's like, yeah, she totally digs me. And, and all the other things, he literally is a child in a, in a man's grown man's body. And I really appreciated that. And I will say that the um, duo of Sean Astin and Zach Callison just really brought this character to life. Aside from, yes, making it a little bit too speedy, if you will, when it came to introducing him. But this was a great pairing. Because I think uh, Victor really needed that positive reinforcement after everything he'd been through. And it allows him to shine as a captain, a sports captain, because he is the one, who, along with Wonder Woman, who rallies the team. It's like, okay, 
let's do this, let's do this, let's do this. And then, of course, Wonder Woman's like, yes, we'll, we'll, uh, we'll poke his eyes out and it'll be fine. And then, and how goes, I guess that's the plan. <laughs> so off they go. But yeah, I really enjoyed this pair. And uh, I mean, as I mentioned at the top of this, this review, it really got me into this universe. I'm like, yeah, give me more of this. I'm really enjoying this universe. It's fantastic. So, uh, so yeah, I think two great jobs when it came to both Cyborg and Shazam. So let's conclude by going to the villainous side of the table. Of course, we have a Steve Blum as Darkseid. So, Keith, what did you make of our big bad? I appreciate the fact that he was like 75 feet tall. He was a menacing individual. He wasn't on par with the rest of the Justice League. And the reason why I bring that up is because of the Justice League cartoons from back in the 90s when we were younger. They introduced Darkseid. And Darkseid and Superman were the same size. And it was like, well... He's strong, but he doesn't, if it wasn't for the great voice actor that they had playing or portraying Darkseid, it wouldn't be menacing. Here, you have this 25-foot-tall beast of a monster come through a boom tube and just start manhandling everybody and just laying waste to everything he sees. He unleashes that blast that levels however many city blocks and kills who the heck knows how many and then just proceeds to take apart and dismantle everybody in the Justice League one at a time and it's not until the little light bulb goes on in their head that they fight together instead of individually that they finally put up a, a decent fight with uh, Darkseid the, the voice acting was adequate for all like three words he said or five words or whatever the hell it was. Um, there's not much to the dark side character unless you decide to dedicate, you know, a good portion of the movie to him. This was very much a monster of the week type of scenario in this instance where introduce big bad guy and then fight for what was it like 20 odd minutes, 25 minutes or whatever, obviously in DC time, it was probably hours they were fighting, but the last half of this movie was just one big monster brawl, which, as you pointed out earlier, uh, we appreciate that instead of the, they're going to fight for 30 seconds and go, okay, look, I've discovered this magic weakness we had no idea about, and he is now dead, or he is now turned into a squirrel, and we fired him off into space. You're like, what the fuck? What just happened? Like, yeah, he sneezed. Apparently, he's allergic to like the color blue. Like, fuck! Really? Yeah, it's Something really dumb. This they had to earn. You see, he broke Hal Jordan's arm, which was insane. It was amazing and horrific all at the same time. Because I said it's amazing because he literally grabs Hal. He knows who the Green Lanterns are. So he grabs his hand with the power ring and just squeezes. And you hear the cracking and the crunching. And he screamed, that blood curling scream. If you've ever broken a bone in your body, you know what it feels like, so you either cringe or go, yeah, that's what it sounds like. I did both. Um, and then Hal just goes, okay, I'm going to switch arm. You know, He switches rings between hands because it doesn't really matter what hand it's on, and he wears a cast for the rest of the movie. And at that point, he kind of he's slowly um, realizing that he might be over his head a little bit just because of the fact that again, he got his arm snapped Thankfully, he didn't get ripped off. That would have been a little 
a little much. So obviously they, they, you know, watered down for the movie. Uh, and then when everybody steps in and I, I think Wonder Woman started the transformation into a team and um, Victor cyborg character being the quarterback kind of rallied the troops. And then finally they started to unleash Holy hell on dark side. And, he even put up a fight with no eyes, which is insane if you think about it. He literally couldn't see where they were coming from, and he still beat the ever-loving crap out of everybody. He was, we'll say, seconds away from crushing um, Shazam before Superman punched him in the, you know, into the boom tube. So for a guy with no eyes, he was still pretty damn powerful, and and I respect that because Darkseid, as a force of nature, essentially in DC universe. He's that strong, and this is a a fair representation of him. Usually, you get the watered-down version that we see on the Justice League cartoons where they fight for a couple seconds and then Superman swoops in or somebody swoops in with something and knocks him the hell out. So he, he, was, he got the job done. He showed that the universe was much bigger than it was and also much smaller at the same time. Very well said, because dare I say, Keith, when it comes to the DC Universe, you know, compared to Marvel, which has all sorts of crazy villains going on, it doesn't really get any bigger than Darkseid, does it? Mm, not really. Well, Mongol, he's another mm. big bad in there. There's a couple big baddies. You know, Lex is kind of a big bad from time to time, but I think Darkseid is the top of the food chain. Like It's like Darkseid, Mongol, and then like a couple other rando characters but i don't think anybody puts up as much of a fight or is that determined to take over one planet as that guy yeah because you know some i have seen of course on social media and what have you people making a comparison between dark side in dc and thanos in in marvel because you know i guess to a certain extent they can mirror each other but i think Maybe Darkseid in this case is even more of a menace because he's like the uber bad. Because like if Darkseid shows up, usually you know it's going to be pretty terrible. And he has, of course, been the protagonist in, in many a DC story, especially the Crisis stories, where he is literally the most dangerous character in the DC universe. And I think here... They did it for the most part. There was a moment when you know Steve Blum, I think, did a good job voicing him. But there were moments that when I first heard Darkseid speak, he almost seemed too robotic. But then, yeah. I was like, he. I. I mean, I appreciate the very sort of deep voice because I expect this character to have this voice, not sound like say Mike Tyson. But uh, I just thought first it was like a little bit too robotic. But then as the movie progressed, I guess I also eased into, okay, this is the voice that Darkseid is going to have. And it worked. Because I think if you think about the whole concept of um, converting people, I mentioned the Cybermen, I mentioned the Borg, you probably would expect the head honcho of this conversion to sound non-human and more towards a cybernetic organism or, or, a, or dare I say a robotic organism. But I totally felt the menace this character was. I wouldn't say I'm terrified because it's an animated movie and it takes a lot for an animated movie to scare me, but I felt the impact of this dark side where he literally shows up and it was like, oh, it's this guy. And when they throw all sorts of stuff at him and nothing sticks and he's literally beating everybody up. And like you said, he he breaks Hal's arm and he's literally jumping on top of Superman and beating him half to death. Like this guy is the business. 
And the fact that it takes the entire Justice League to bring him down tells you how menacing he is. And the fact that, like you said, even though they blinded him, he can still put up a fight. I mentioned this could have been a standalone movie because you've blinded the biggest villain in the DC universe and sent him packing. What happens next? So <clears throat> I know there's a continuation to this and spoilers, folks, but, you know, 2014, it's been 10 years. By this point, you should know there is a following. Even I know, and I haven't seen these movies. But, um, you know, of course, Darkseid is going to return at some point, you know, with his technology or like get his eyes sorted out and he'll be fine. Maybe get a tummy tuck and who knows. But uh, he'll, he'll, he'll be back before you know it. But I really, I really, what I, I appreciate the most about this was the impression this character made. I mean, how they made it stick compared to, as I mentioned before, other DC movies where, which we reviewed, like, oh my God, this is going to be a major villain. 50 minutes later, yeah, he's, he's allergic to blue. Boom, problem solved. Here, it was a great battle, it was epic, and I loved it. And so I'm, I'm looking forward to the next encounter, even though. Our movie ends, of course, with the uh, tease to the post credit scene to, of course, Atlantis becoming a problem. Because if you noticed, no Aquaman in this in this particular movie. And so Atlantis is going to be, of course, the, the next place we go to when it comes to the Justice League in this franchise. So uh, I'm really curious uh, when it comes to that. But yes, loved Darkseid. was a fabulous villain. Very well done. And they didn't pull punches when it came to the blood and guts, because heck, this guy is literally blood running down his face when he's lost both his eyes. So I'm like, oh, holy crap, this is amazing. So um, kudos, kudos, uh, Jay Oliva and everybody on this on this movie for bringing us a great villain at last. So uh, uh, Keith, uh, did you have anything else you wanted to add on our on our movie in general, or heck, even our post credit scene? I, I'm with you. I, my issue with the post credit scene is. So the movie, what, 20 minutes in or 30 minutes in, they make a comment about how the water is on fire, and then this giant obelisk thing comes out, and then Darkseid pops up. What? Where the hell was Aquaman when all this shit was going on? Because at the end of the movie, the post credit scene is all these dead fish, and then the King of Atlantis is, being, is dead. It's like, uh, okay, but the oceans were literally on fire. You would have thought, hey, let's go check this out. What's going on? Something to kind of expose us to Aquaman maybe a few seconds earlier, a few minutes, even if he shows up right as you know Darkseid is put through. That way you know instead of like instead of having to wait to a mid credit scene to go, hey, there's Aquaman. He's a thing. And then fade to black and we gotta wait to the next movie. I mean, but was that character that was holding, I guess it was Arthur Curry in his arms, was that Ocean Master? That Ocean Master was holding their father in their, their arms. So technically the king of Atlantis is dead. And it's oh, okay, Arthur so Arthur and, Arthur and Ocean Master's father. Correct. Oh, okay. Yeah, so, that, so I was right. That was Ocean Master saying we have to take our revenge on the, on the earth. Yes. Or on, the, on the land dwellers. The land people are evil. <laughs> exactly <laughs> yeah i don't really have anything else much to add other than i'm curious to see you know this uh next part when it comes to the justice league i know there are a few other movies in between before we get to what is teased at the end of this movie now post credit scene but uh i'm definitely on board but i will also agree it's like if the water's on fire you'd think the atlanteans would have realized and would like 
what the heck is going on? Let's go up. Uh, let's go up and see what's go- what the heck is going on. But instead, yeah, we get the whole cut to the the marine uh, fauna dead and ocean master being really pissed that they killed that they killed his dad. So I guess that's that's the situation. So getting then to ratings, what do you give Justice League War out of ten? Uh, I'm going to have to give this one a solid eight. It's a good starting point, and it picks up right where Flashpoint left off and also sets us down the path of the justice league stories awesome source i'm 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 also going to this i'm going to this an eight out of ten myself i thoroughly enjoyed it is this probably been the best chapter in the dc animated universe thus far aside from you know the batman standalone films we saw like the dark knight returns and stuff this was solid solid stuff so i'm giving this an eight out of ten and and i thoroughly thoroughly recommend it so speaking of recommendations, Keith, what would you like to recommend to our listeners this week? Um, if you like this movie, I would definitely check out the Justice League run that inspired this movie. It goes into more detail the things that we are poking fun at and kind of pointing out as being weak points in this animated. They do expand upon and they go into better detail in the comics. So I would check out the New 52 uh, Flashpoint as well because that leads you into the new 52 and I think that that's going to be pretty much it obviously if you like this one definitely check out the um, what is it the sequel the throne of Atlantis that's a good one as well well said and yes speaking of comics like Keith said if you want to see what this this movie was based on and rather loosely based on I should say definitely pick up uh, Justice League Origin which, of course, is by those two geniuses when it comes to DC Comics, Jeff Johns and Jim Lee. And that, of course, uh, as Keith mentioned, is all the, the whole New 52 run of the Justice League, which was one of the, I think, the better things to come out of the New 52. I actually recall reading this run, on, on which, of course, this movie is based on in hospital, and it definitely brought me uh, many a happy hour while I was kind of waiting for my surgery and recovering from surgery. So it shows that... The power of comics can definitely be healing and helpful indeed. So my uh, my review is kind of uh, akin to Keith. So check out Justice League Origin, folks. And you're, you can find, I'm sure, in both as a trade paperback. And of course, if you're the digital person like myself, definitely on Comixology. So, of course, dear listeners, if you want to share your thoughts on the movies we discuss here, you can do so by shooting us an email at happinessanddarknesshow at gmail.com. Once again, that email is happinessanddarknesshow at gmail.com. You can show your support by giving us a like on Facebook, where you'll find us as Happiness and Darkness, where you can follow us on X, formerly known as Twitter, or at High Darkness Pod. And lastly, if you are listening to us on Spotify or, say, Apple Podcasts, be sure to give us a rating and review as this helps to keep that algorithm stimulated and allows our show to reach more ears like yours. And a big thank you to those who have rated and reviewed us and a future thank you to those who will. And Mr. Bliss, when you're not here discussing these beloved superhero movies, where can folks find you on the ever vast interwebs? Uh, on the interwebs? Um, let's see. Do I, do I have a life? No, unfortunately, I do not have a life. I just work, eat, sleep, and I play with my dog. Oh, and obviously my girlfriend. She'll kill me if I don't make reference to that. Otherwise, when I'm not here discussing fun-filled movies about comic books that are poorly adapted, uh, we are, um, we as in you and I, I am on a podcast called 
the hour of comics is upon us with John Seymour and Jason Gurin. Um, we are discussing future topics. So as of right now, we have just the handful of episodes recorded. Hopefully we'll get back in the studio again shortly. Fantastic stuff. And uh, well, folks, definitely be sure to keep your eyes peeled for, for everything that this terrific trio has coming your way. When it comes to me, you can find me hosting the radio show Whiskey and Cigarettes, where we play today's country, traditional country and everything else in between. And for more info about that, you can visit our website, which is whiskeyandcigarettesshow.com. Podcast-wise, you can also find myself and those lovely ladies, Rachel Friend and Zan Sprouse, on Gold Standard, the Oscars podcast. We're reviewing all the movies that won Best Picture in chronological order. We are currently caught up. And as we wait for the 96th best picture to reveal itself, and I think it could be a toss-up, even though everybody's saying it, it will be Oppenheimer, it could be a toss-up. We are reviewing movies that uh, you know we think we, we want to talk about. We recently reviewed All the President's Men, and next week we'll be taking on The Princess Bride, which is a movie that I have not seen in the longest time, and I know we'll have a lot to say about that particular flick. And the last but certainly not least, you can, of course, find check out myself and Charles Skaggs on the Fandom Zone, where he recently reviewed the MCU's latest offering, Echo. That's been wrapped up. We'll be currently on hiatus for a while while we find out what the next superhero TV show property will be that we get to talk about because everything's on TBD status right now. So as soon as something we get a hard date, we know when we'll be coming back for the Fandom Zone. But in the meantime, you can check out our back catalogue and is a very rich one indeed. And speaking of things to come on this show next time, as we have been on quite the, uh, the the tear when it comes to this franchise, we'll be taking on the 2015 Jose Padilla film, Robocop. Yes, folks, there was a remake and I have yet to see it. And, we, and of course, we'll be having a great guest, which we will be revealing to you next time. He accepted the invitation. So looking forward to having him return to the show. So, Keith. Any quick thoughts on our next movie or anything else before we sign off? I, I cannot wait to hear your review because I have seen this movie a couple of times. My girlfriend and I have discussed this movie several times, and I even mentioned that we were reviewing this. So th this should be a, a fun show. I definitely think so. Seeing as our special guest has been absent from Happiness and Darkness for a while, he was super thrilled to, to accept the invitation and come back. So it'd be great to hang out with him again. More on that, of course, next week, folks. So thanks, as always, for this show and supporting us. We will see you next time with Robocop. Until then, thank you so much for your time. Stay super. Ciao, my people.